turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Have you ever stopped to consider just exactly what you would find in the middle of your sorrows, trials, and depression? Well, we have an answer for you right out of the book of Job, next on Abounding Grace. You find yourself in the midst of depression, maybe a challenge, some severe sorrow that has overtaken your life. Much like Job, you question why and you wonder what is going on. And in the midst of it all, the righteousness of God shows forth. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're in Job chapter 9, where we see the righteousness of God on display. It is a stark contrast to what Job is going through, but at the same time, it reveals the answer to what Job is going through. With more, here's Pastor Gary Wagner on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Bildad basically assumed that your outward circumstances are an infallible proof of whether you are a good man, a wicked man, a good woman, or a wicked woman. However, that isn't a very biblical view of God's justice, is it? Because we know that he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. And God oftentimes withholds very deserved judgments in this life to give ungodly men time to repent, and if for no other reason, to give them no excuse when they stand before him on the day of judgment. Because to every man who has ever lived, God will say, when that man stands before him, I have been good to you. I've fed you. I've clothed you. So what is your excuse for not giving your worship to me? Of course, to the righteous, sometimes we have a rough go of it in this life. As a matter of fact, if we were to follow Bildad's line of thinking and judge whether or not God loves us and takes care of us purely by our outward circumstances like health and opportunities and prosperity and the world's approval, then we might falsely conclude, well, God loves the wicked, but he hates the righteous. You see, Bildad's philosophy of God's justice gives no room for the Lord to chasten his people, for the Lord to sift us, for the Lord to even say, as Job says, to scourge us with whips. All because we need to be purified of our sins and because we need to be pursuing holiness. 
of course, by God sifting his people. He always leads us to depend upon his promises and his love. And God doesn't take such pains with those who are not his children. You need to think about that the next time you go through difficulty. God doesn't treat those who are not his children with fatherly, painstaking care. If you love your children, you will take the pains that need to be to teach them. And God loves us, and he brings us to where we depend upon him and love him and trust his promises alone, even if he needs to take us through trials and tribulations. Do you remember what Abraham told the rich man when the rich man was languishing in hell and he begged for a drop of cool water on his tongue? Abraham said very simply to him in Luke 16, 25, Son, you had your good things in this life. Now your eternity will be continuous torment and agony. And you know, very often... That's the way we see God meet out his providence. As David said in Psalm 17, God fills the wicked with his hidden treasures in this life. He fills them with good things. And as for his children, he sometimes brings us through rough places to show us that he is with us. And to fulfill in our lives Psalm 23. So Bildad completely misunderstands God's justice. God's dealings with men. He turns God's justice into some kind of mechanistic, immediate vindication of the righteous and punishment of the wicked. This isn't our experience, is it? And it's certainly not what Scripture teaches. And as for Job, Bildad's bad theology only poured salt onto his aching heart and brought it forth, brought forth this confession of his in chapters 9 and 10, which begins in verses 1 and 2 with Job confessing that God is righteous. He says, verse 2, I, I know it's true. Of course, God is righteous. Of course, God is just in all of his dealings with men. But how shall a man be just with God? The idea here is, shall a man be justified by himself before God? Job is probably using this as an argument to tell Bildad, I know I have no righteousness of my own. God alone justifies. I understand that, Bildab. Do you? If we say things like, this isn't fair, we have literally, immediately denied God's justice. If we start trying to play the lawyer with God, oh, I don't deserve this, this isn't right, this isn't fair. Well, Job understands this is all nonsense and he doesn't believe any of it because he knows God is righteous. 
He says, Lord, you see all of my warts, and there's no possibility of me making any defense of myself before you. So it is simply wrong, as Job says, that I can make my case before you. And and if I'm blessed, I have absolutely no reason to believe that it is because of my righteousness. Job confesses that God is righteous. And it's interesting that God doesn't depend, that Job doesn't depend on his own righteousness, as Bildad in the chapter 8 says he was doing. But of course, we already know what Job has been spending a lot of his life doing, offering sacrifices. And you know, he may have been told to do this by a direct revelation from God, or perhaps from his relational ties back to Abraham's extended family. But Job was a man who looked to another righteousness, not his own. Now, he did not yet clearly see the Lord Jesus, but he did know that there was a deliverer coming. And that's why he offered the sacrifices. Job's problem was not he, that he thought that God was unfair. Job's problem or difficulty was that he couldn't understand why a man whom God had already said is righteous, Job, would suffer like this. Lord, why don't you come to my relief? I've cried to you. You you are the one who made me a godly man. Why won't you answer me? Why won't you relieve my afflictions so I can be restored to peace and fellowship with you as I have enjoyed for so many years? In verses 3 through 13, Job just lays out for us how wonderful God's righteousness is. And each one of us needs to be personally confronted with this. And he begins in verses 3 and 4, making one very simple point. And that is, no matter what, Bildad, I may think of myself, even if I think that I have confessed all of my sins to the Lord, God can bring a thousand indictments against me. Let that sink in, beloved. No matter what I think of myself, God can bring a thousand charges against me. And thus, I must depend alone upon God's righteousness. You know, we think if we've confessed, oh, you know, maybe three or four sins and That we've been really open with God. And we are open and we do confess our sins. But we need to remember that God knows the depths of our sinfulness in ways that we have no way of understanding. And this is where Job is. Job recognizes here there's no debating, there's no defending oneself before such a God, there's no contending with Him who knows every thought before we even have it, who never forgets anything, who knows everything all at once. There's no fighting with such a God. 
Plus verse 4. He says, he's wise in heart. What a powerful description. Job says, God is wise in heart. In other words, he knows all of yours and my meanderings. You know, it's funny with us. We think of all kinds of ways to, forget, to convince ourselves that we are something that we are not. Or we find ways to justify our sins or to excuse them or to blame someone else for them. But you see, God follows all of those meanderings. He knows where they all go. When Job recognizes this, that even if he says, I thought I was a good man, which, of course, he does not, though you, Bildad, think that I think I am, God knows a thousand things against me. We need to learn from these words very, very carefully, and each one of us needs to take this very seriously, that we are with out defense before God for our sins, except for pleading on the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Plus, not one of us in this room knows how desperate and deceitfully wicked that our hearts really are. You know, we've learned to live with it. We've learned to live with a far worse heart than we could have ever thought. And that is truly what is the cancer of sin. So to us, what seems normal because we've been breathing this poison air all our life, God sees right through it. He sees through all the fog and all the haze that we put up. Now, I know it's distasteful to hear this about ourselves, to be told that God can still bring a thousand charges against me if he wanted to. But you see, beloved, unless we believe this truth, like Job did, we're not going to run to Jesus. We're not going to adore God for his mercy unless we first reverence his justice. And this is the reason that I believe Job was one of those old covenant believers and why he continuously offered sacrifice. Because Job did know something of the depth of his own sins. That's why he offered the sacrifices. He did it in hope and in faith that God would accept this substitution for him. So, will we ever run to the Lord Jesus? Will we run to Him unless we admit my sins are so much greater than I had any idea? You know, it kind of puts an end to pretending, doesn't it? It kind of puts an end to wearing masks. You know, always keeping up a wall between yourself and others so that no one can penetrate the veil that you put up of either faking goodness or hiding or whatever it may be. Job here, even before his friends who weren't being very friendly at this point, says, 
Listen, God could bring up a thousand things against me. Wearing a mask doesn't fool God. One of the reasons Jesus commended Mary, who had the expensive box of perfume and broke it and poured it on Jesus, wiped his feet with her tears, was because she loved so much. And why did she love so much? Because she knew she had been forgiven so much. We will never, never, never anoint our Savior with the tears of love and gratitude. We will never wipe His feet with humility and with joy in Him unless we feel just a little bit of what Job felt here. Lord, I am so sinful. I have no idea actually how sinful I am, but Your mercy is all the much greater. And what You have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy of all of my praise and devotion and love. Now, verses 5 through 9, Job makes it very clear that he has a very high view of God's righteousness. In fact, he says God's righteousness is supported by irresistible power. Notice here, if we go from verse 4 into verse 5, it can say, Who has ever hardened against him and prospered? Wow. Anyone in here? tried to harden yourself against God for even just a little while? Oh, I I know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm just not going to do it. Well, if you're one of God's, what does he do? He just keeps putting up walls. Boom, 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 boom. He will leave you bloody, and he will batter you, and he will bruise you, and he will leave you in the belly of the fish for a time for your hardness to teach you. No one. No one resists me and ever, ever, ever prospers. Now, the wicked person may seem like they can resist God for a while and prosper, but that is a fool's hope. I mean, look at the calamities of our culture. Look at the empty lives. Look at the fidelity. Look at all the infidelity. Look at the dissatisfaction, the, the drug use, the drunkenness, the prostitution of women, and even men. This is what happens when men say, we can have life on our own terms. Beloved, as Job says, we cannot resist God and prosper. For, for proof of this, consider God's power, Job says. He moves the mountains. Oh, remember the flood? God shakes the heavens and the earth. He overturns them in His anger. He shakes the earth out of her place. Now, whether this is the deluge or the great flood that Job is referencing or possibly an earthquake, it doesn't really matter what it means. The point is, we know the very topography of the earth has been radically, radically shaken. Oh, we've seen it right here in Silicon Valley, have we not? Then Job says, God commands the sun and it doesn't rise. We tend to think things operate very mechanistically. God has set rules in place, and He doesn't mess with it. Wrong. Scripture says, the sun stands still on 
Ashelon. Hezekiah, do you want the sun to go back or forward 10 degrees? Or God declares, Egypt, I will bring three days of total darkness. God controls the sun. And how are you going to resist a God who controls the sun, Job says. He walks on the waves of the water. Verse 8, he spreads out the heavens. And you know, we think we're big and bad if we can build a skyscraper. We think we're big and bad if we enclose a, a bunch of acres and we put air conditioning in it. God stretched out the heavens like a curtain, as if it were nothing. Ladies, like you put up a curtain in your home, actually even more simple than that. God just spoke and stretched out the heavens. Verse 9, God put the stars in the sky. He made all the constellations. It says the bear, Orion, Pleiades, the chambers of the south. You know, the constellations around the Antarctica that we don't normally see. And in Genesis 1, we see the account of creation, and we're given a little bit of detail. You know, God made this, and He made that. God made the sun to rule the day, and the moon to rule the night. And, oh, oh, oh by the way, He made the stars. It was just like a passing comment God saying, I want some decoration. Bam! The stars are in the heavens. They appear in the sky. You see, Job here takes creation seriously. Which is why we need to take creation seriously. And beloved, this is why the church today is lost in a law-law land of spiritualism. We've forgotten the omnipotence, the power of God that is revealed everywhere in this universe. Why did God make this theater of His glory and then call us to study it? So that we would be humbled by His power, and led to see His great mercy. He is such a powerful God. And I can't defend myself against Him, says Job. I can't defend my sinfulness against Him. My only hope is that He will show me mercy. So here again, Job says, I take God's righteousness seriously, Bildad. I do not believe that I can defend myself before such a God. And Bildad, don't you think that either. And beloved, don't you think that either. Can you imagine how many people in hell right now who heard the gospel at some point in their life and said, Oh, I can stand on my own before God. I don't need religion. I don't need the church. I don't need this Jesus stuff. Uh, you know, I'll just work it out with God when I stand before him. Well, when we stand before a holy God, trust me, there will be no talking except on his part. And sounding before us will be the crack of doom for daring to think that we could enter into debate with him. And this leads us, if we apply it to ourselves, right 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one who can give an answer for us before that throne of God. And then he adds in verses 10 through 13, God's ways are wonderful and past finding out. In verse 11, Job makes it very personal. He says, God is with me all the time. I know he is, even though I don't see him. Oh, he passes by me, but I don't perceive it. Because you see, Job understood God's invisibility. He understood John 4, 24. God is a spirit. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us, and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. (music) 